0: Are you ready to make positive transformation happen for you? Today, you're going to hear how some of the most successful people in the world have made it happen. Hello, and welcome to Transformational Energy Leadership with Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey. These successful people and Dr. Woolsey will share advice, insights, tips, and tricks designed to help you incite personal action. It's time to bring positive transformational leadership to your life. Now, here's your host, Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey.
1: It is that time of the week again. Welcome to Transformational Energy Leadership. I'm your host, Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey, coming to you live from America's heartland. Now, I want to remind you, during the commercial breaks, go to my website. It's transformationalenergyleadership.com, where you can learn more about me and my business offerings. And of course, if you want to contact me, you can email me at mwolsey at transformationalenergyleadership.com I'm also on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. And you can go to voiceamerica.com and find me under the Empowerment Channel. Now, today we are talking about leading with mindfulness. And joining me is Karina Chase. Now, Karina designs and delivers customized courses to facilitate organizational change and learning and to help senior and developing leaders maximize their ability to influence and inspire not only their colleagues, but their clients. Karina is the founder and president of Chase Performance Strategies. She's also a certified coach through the International Coach Federation and has extensive training in theater and psychology. Welcome to the show, Karina.
2: Hi, Matt. It's good to be here. Thank you.
1: Great to have you as well. And and also, I want to encourage the listening audience, this is a live show today, so please call in and be part of this conversation. Now, Karina, to get things started... Help us understand why you are compelled by this concept of mindfulness, because we're hearing it a lot lately. And tell us a little bit about you.
2: So, yeah, mindfulness is definitely out there. Um, And I think that my interest in it, um, which is growing and growing every day, um, really, it really stems directly from the work that I do, you know, that we do. Which is that, you know, whether I'm in a space, a learning space with a group of people, you know, usually around 25 people, um, or working one-on-one with my individual clients, um, I'm in an environment where I'm trying to um, facilitate an opportunity for people to really expand um, their potential, right? Expand the way in which they can do things and the way in which they view things um, to give them new tools and frameworks. Um, to, to use and to think about um, in order to be more effective and more efficient in their environments. And when you're trying to help people um, recognize new possibilities for themselves and um, embrace new ways of thinking and being and doing so that they can be more effective, um, one of the things that you hope that, and, and invite them to look at is, so, is well, how are they currently looking at things? What is the way in which they currently operate? And that has so much to do with the stories that they're telling themselves all day, every day, um, the stories they're telling themselves about themselves, the stories they're telling themselves about their colleagues and this situation and that situation and their workplace and their boss. And, um, you know, in, in coaching in particular, I, um, I, I try to use that, that idea of, of narrative, of our own narratives and how much that shapes the way in which we view the world and the way in which we operate. Um, in fact, I, when I got my coaching certification at, at Columbia, I wrote my thesis on this idea of narrative coaching, which is making somebody aware um, that, the, that, that the story they're telling themselves is one version of of the reality that they're operating with. And inviting and them to look at, is, is that story helping you? Is that story holding you back? Um, are there other ways that you can tell it or relate to it that will open up more possibility for you? Um, and to, so, to me... Mindfulness is about creating a really deliberate space where you can look at that story, look at those stories that are shaping your experience of the world. You know, because in mindfulness practices, what you're doing is becoming more aware of your thoughts and those thoughts that are with you all day, every day are the seeds of those stories and those narratives that you're crafting. So it's really, who, it's really. Let's look at that space. You know what? What can you do in that space, and and how powerful it can be. Y-
1: yes, and when I when I'm working with my clients, the question that brings forth that narrative and really causes them to think, I'll, I'll ask them, okay, what's what's true, and what's the truth, and really finding out, having them discern between the two. So your comments about story is really powerful. You know, with mindfulness itself, we're hearing this phrase a lot. You can do a Google search. You can look at leadership periodicals. You're finding it. It's everywhere. And I think there's some confusion about what it is. Some people will relate it to it's meditation. It's all about being reflective, while others think it's about listening and being in the moment. So I'm really eager for you to help give us even more clarity about what it is and also why it's imperative for leaders really to incorporate it into their daily routine as a beneficial tool for them. So what made you dig further into and in writing about mindfulness?
2: Yeah, well, so the reason that I wanted to dig further into it um, really had to do with what I was witnessing and watching with my clients. So a couple examples. Um, I, I, one of the companies that I work with a lot, J.M. Reed Group, um, led by the wonderful John Reed. Uh, we, we do courses, um, leadership development courses, relationship building courses, um, many different courses that have uh, a section on being present, the way that we present it is, is as being present um, versus mindfulness. And in that being present section, we really acknowledge how, how many people are struggling to be present in this world today, right? The world is feels chaotic, that the pace of everything is increasing. Things are um, less certain and, and more sort of um, ambiguous, right? There's the, what's right is feels less and less clear. Um, we're constantly bombarded with stimulus. We've got our computer and we've got our phone. Um, we've got things coming at us all the time in such a way that it's really hard to feel centered and in control. Um, what we should be doing is less clear to people, um, what, where our priorities should be, uh, feels less clear to people. And so we kind of acknowledge this, this feeling of, 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 of what that's like, um, how we're expected to multitask, but it's almost as thing. people ask about multitasking in interviews. Can you multitask? But of course what we know is that nobody can multitask, right? Your brain is not designed to multitask, um, so what you're actually doing is going back and forth um, between doing things, which which feels stressful. Um, so in acknowledging the stress, and then and then we give some ideas and tools for how to manage this, some ways of kind of relieving ourselves and centering ourselves, um, even as the world spins around us. And what I started to notice is that you know at the end of the day, we we do a little. So so what resonated with you most today? You know what was the most um, useful that you think you'll take with you. And I couldn't believe how often um, people would say that being present section. You know, Even if we just tucked it in for for 15 minutes, like, like I'm really struggling with that. Um, I'm really having a hard time feeling in control of my environment and feeling um, proactive. I, I always feel really reactive and, and just recognizing that that but that that's a thing and that there's something I can do about it because it's so valuable to me. And, you know, it's funny, Matt, like it's so often it would be the person that I least expected to it would be like the guy in the back that I didn't really think was paying attention at all that day, right, and never expected to say anything. And, and that guy would be like, I need help with this. Um, and then my coaching clients that were coming to me, you know, for more and more it was sort of time management issues. Um, and they would be saying they were struggling with a lot of the same things, just that, that sense of always being reactive, that their days were being taken off course. You know, Within an hour, they'd have emails that um, were, were making them feel like they needed to be doing and should be doing things other than what they wanted to get done that day and how unsettling that was and how sort of off-balance people were feeling. So... I really was hearing it, you know, in a big way from my clients, that, that people were struggling and people needed help. Um, and so that, that really made me want to dig into this, to this mindfulness thing so that I could help them, so I could be of service and find various ways of introducing this concept that, um, that people could hear and so that, so that it would resonate with them. So, so you know, I, the ways in which I talk about mindfulness really depends on the audience or my client and, and where they are in relationship to it and to the
1: concept. So you're customizing your language and your approach. As you were talking about all of that, I'm thinking, what are you talking about, Karina? I can do many things. So uh, not really. <laughs> not really. What drives me <laughs> well, crazy well,
2: we, is... We have become very good at it, right? Of Going <laughs> back and forth between things, but it, it's at a cost. It costs us something. It really does start to add up over the course of the day.
1: It sure does. And the thoroughness and the, the accuracy of what we're doing is really compromised. And we're seeing that all the time in periodicals. You look up, uh, um, you know, sources, news sources, or whatever. There's everywhere you can tell that they're micro or they're multitasking. They're Let's multitasking, this, the, the, absolutely.
2: And, of course, we know what that feels like on a, on a human level. When, when you are with somebody and they are thinking about other things or checking their phone or glancing over at their computer – it's really, um, it's really destructive, you know, to the quality of a relationship, especially that one you're, that you're trying to build. And In fact, there's even a, a study about how the presence of an iPhone sitting on a table um, between you and another person erodes the sense of trust and intimacy that you're creating it. You know, it's that, that threat that there's something else that at any moment will pull you away or that you'll deem more important than, than this encounter. Um, so we, we we really want to be able to be where we are um, to be with whoever we are with uh, in, in order to have the kind of maximum impact that we can have on on a person and in a situation.
1: You're making a lot of sense. One of the best pieces of advice or Observations I made. I model. I, I observed the behavior, and then I incorporated it. My boss, she was she was a, a partner at the firm. She was busy, and she was she was managing all the HR functions. So you know, globally, she was constantly getting bombarded. And the moment I or I would watch someone else walk into her office, she would put her laptop down. She would turn her phone over. She would grab a pen and lean forward. And mm-hmm. that those behaviors right there said, oh. She's giving me her attention. So I completely understand what you're talking about there. Yeah,
2: that's a big deal. That's a big deal. and Yeah, it's funny because a lot of the work that we do in in leadership development is is helping um, leaders think of ways to create those spaces, right? Those sacred spaces where they're engaging with their team and engaging with their colleagues and even their boss and, and having the kind of impact that they want to have as leaders, and a lot of times they'll say, well, I just don't have any more time to spend with, with people. You know, it's I feel like I'm doing it. I'm having these conversations and then they just want more. And I always think, well, but what's the quality of that time that you're spending? You, you very well may not have more time, but you can maybe make more of the time that you're spending. And, that, and that's about that, that presence that you're talking about that you felt from your leader
1: it all comes down to quality listen before we go to break in about two minutes i want to get to the question because some people when they hear mindfulness oh you're you're getting touchy-feely but yet mm-hmm. others realize the power of the tool and what you just said being present how do you define what mindfulness is
2: well i have a few definitions of mindfulness and we might not have time to get to all of them before the break but uh, you know i'll start with john cabot who's who's kind of the father of mindfulness um I'll start with his definition, uh, and we can dig into that a little bit, which is the mindfulness is the awareness that arises from paying attention on purpose in the moment, nonjudgmentally. So it's, it's an intentional awareness of what is happening in the present moment. And paying attention to it non-judgmentally, and that's really, it makes, it makes the definition awkward, but it's really important because our brains are wired for judgment, right? We need to be assessing all the time if something is a risk or if something is dangerous. Uh, it's, it's a survival technique that, that has evolved for us. But that, that constant need to assess and judge really gets our way, in our way, in terms of how we are present in that moment. We have to practice. Being present to a moment without judging it, because we want to do it. Our brains want to do it. Um, so when we say that mindfulness is a practice, we are in. There's many things that we are in fact practicing or rehearsing um, when we're when, when we're doing the practice, right? And one of them is how can I observe this thought? How can I observe this moment without judging it? Because if you're not judging it, it clears the path for a lot more to happen and for you, it, it opens up that possibility I was talking about where you can engage in a lot of other ways because you're not clouding it um, with that judgment that you're so accustomed to. So that's the first definition, and I wonder if I should get to these other ones after
1: the break. Yeah, let's let's pause right here because I want to come back and talk more about that practice piece and non-judgment that you were you were re- referring to a little bit earlier. So we're about to come on to a commercial break, and a couple of things. One, of course, go to my website, transformationalenergyleadership.com, check that out, and give yourself 30, 60 seconds and just be in the moment and, and do it without judgment. So I'll see you back on the other side in two minutes.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Being Here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration that opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss Being Here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 p.m. Eastern Time, with award-winning authors Ariel and Shia Kane, right here on The Empowerment Channel. Are you satisfied with your life? Do you know that more should be possible? Listen for the Access Consciousness radio show with the creators of Access, Gary Douglas and Dr. Dane here. Our program offers pragmatic tools to change things in your life that you haven't been able to change until now. What if all of life could come to you with ease, joy, and glory? Tune in to Access Consciousness Thursdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment.
2: Success starts
0: here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com It's your world. you are tuned in to Transformational Energy Leadership. To reach Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey or his guest today, you are welcome to call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send an email, send it to mwoolsey at transformationalenergyleadership.com. Now, back to this week's show.
1: And I'm glad you're back here with me today, and I hope you enjoy taking a look at my website during the break. I am joined today by Karina Chase. She's an executive coach and a leadership facilitator, and she has special interest in this concept. What we're talking about is mindfulness today. So if you have a question or a comment, please call in. Be part of this conversation. <clears throat> now, before the break, Karina, we were talking about what exactly is mindfulness, and actually we got stopped right in the middle as you were starting your definition. So let's pick up there and keep on going. You said you had a couple more definitions of what mindfulness is.
2: Yeah, I like, I like to give uh, multiple definitions just because as people are figuring out um, if they want to embrace this, I think that different way, different wording kind of can resonate differently with different people. Um, so that first definition was John Kabat-Zinn, which is the awareness that arises from paying attention on purpose in the moment non, non-judgmentally. And we talked a little bit about how important that non-judgmental piece of it is, which we'll probably get into more later. Um, another definition that I really love is from George Mumford, um, who's a mindfulness coach, a uh, sports mindfulness coach. He's worked with the Bulls and the Lakers and many other um, professional teams And he defines it as the space between stimulus and response where there is choice. And to me, that definition is so critical when you think about how you'd be using mindfulness in a a corporate environment, right, because with the pace uh, of everything and the, and the amount of stimulus coming at us all the time um, from everywhere from our email, from our device, from our team, from people stopping by, from people calling, um, from things suddenly getting scheduled, right? H- how can you create that space um, between all of that stimuli and how you respond to it? You can imagine how critical. Um, a sense of control um, over those responses would be in, in shaping your ability to react the way that you want to react, you know, and to sort of be who you want to be in that, in, in that environment. Um, and George Mumford and, goes and, on.
1: Sorry, go ahead. You no, know, and just to clarify, I want to make sure I got that definition correct. You said it's the space between stimulus and an end response where we have a choice. Did I get that right? Where
2: there is choice, right? Where That's there what is we're choice. we're trying to get at. We yeah. have billion choices that we can make all day long, Um, and we probably miss most of them, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. We we get into response mode. We get into where we're just reacting and going and trying to get as much done as we can and trying to be efficient, Um, and there's all these choices in there about ways that we can not respond at all or respond differently or respond more carefully, whatever it may be, and of course, all of that is, is sort of determining our experience and people's experience of us.
1: And that remi- that reminds me, and it reflects what you were saying earlier, too. We are conditioned to think really fast. You know, Kahneman's book, yeah. Thinking Fast and Slow. And you're right, because there's the knee-jerk reaction. We all have them out of survival. And what mm-hmm. this is saying is, wait a second. There's that little space. You have a choice mm-hmm.
2: here. Yeah, mindfulness is really about um, breaking a lot of those patterns, right? A lot of those built-in Patterns that are designed. They're designed for our survival. Um, So this isn't about punishing ourselves for having these patterns. We we are wired um, to have um, a a, lot, you know, to to, to make judgments quickly, uh, to make calls quickly, to respond, to move. Um, But those things are not serving us a lot of the times, and we need a space where we can recognize which of these patterns is helping us and and which aren't. And if they're not, how can we break them? And, you know, know, it's funny that the singer Jewel, She's really into mindfulness as well and has a website and um, is, is considered one of the thought leaders in, in mindfulness these days as well. And she kind of expands on that definition of George Mumford's and says that mindfulness is about observing a thought and creating a gap between that thought and how we act on it. So again, it's that, it's that noticing where that gap is that we get to choose how we are responding to a thought even, you know, sometimes how we're creating a thought. Um, so, there's, so there's something very active here, even though we think of mindfulness kind of sitting quietly <laughs> and breathing and nothing's happening. There's actually a ton happening, um, and we're conditioning ourselves to be in the world in a, in a certain way.
1: To go with the quickest, so, I really last, like what you just said. Yeah, mm-hmm. noticing and creating that gap, that makes... Mm-hmm tremendous sense are we ready for a caller or do you have do you want to do one more definition first
2: let me do one more definition and the reason i want to do one more is because this one comes from somebody who has been looking at mindfulness for a long time but from a little bit of a different perspective and that's ellen langer and ellen langer she's a social psychologist who's been looking at mindfulness really since like the early 70s um but she looks at it a little bit differently than these other thought leaders her mindfulness doesn't even really incorporate meditation um and really what her studies started out as is trying to help people not be mindless, right, to do things less mindlessly, um, which turned into more work on mindfulness. But her definition is the simple act of actively noticing new things. Right? And her, her idea is that if you go into any environment and challenge yourself to always be noticing new things, then you will be there. You will be alert to what's happening in that moment just through the act of noticing something new, right? And you can do that with your partner that you've lived with for 30 years. You can decide that you're going to notice five new things that night and will bring a new kind of alertness to that environment. So I just wanted to add that to um, to the mix, right, that there's that there's some real simplicity even to this, not that it's simple, but but that there are some simple things you can do um, that, that aren't even related to, to
1: meditation. Okay, I don't know if this relates, but you can correct me if I'm wrong, Karina. Yesterday, I was driving home from the gym, and I was thinking about our show today, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to pay attention to my the route that I often take, and I noticed different stuff in the neighborhood, and you know, I don't know if that relates. Yeah, that's exactly
2: it. It's it, funny because you know, it's such, such a good example. I think driving is, is that such a familiar space in which we'll often be saying to ourselves, "How did I get here? I don't even remember <laughs> how I got from the grocery store back home again." Um, but but you think about how many times throughout the day you are operating in that mode, um, and the more she and Ellen Langer talks about this that the more familiar things become, and the harder it is to be mindful. the more we settle into these patterns and ways of doing and being, um, which is closing off possibility and potential for us.
1: Right. Okay, let's take a call. We've got a caller, Sherry, who is in Los Angeles. Sherry, are you there? Yes, good morning. Can you hear me, Matt and Karina?
3: Yeah, good morning.
1: Yes, loud and clear. How are you? Good
3: morning. I'm I'm good, thank you. Thank you for um, talking about this topic, Karina. I have a question. Um, I, earlier, you were talking about um, helping clients to change their negative narratives, their stories. Um, mm-hmm. And my question is, how do you help them do that, especially when they're in the moment? Um, in other words, uh, you know, um, emails are are frantic and their work life is frantic, how do you get them to stop and change their narrative so that they might make a better decision when they're so busy?
2: So, um, there's a, you know, so, again, this this idea of mindfulness, it's actually a great question, Sherry, because it can kind of lead us into what are we actually doing when we're doing a mindfulness study, and or, sorry, a mindfulness practice, and how does that practice translate into what you're talking about, which is actually being able to intervene um, on our own behalf when we're just reacting in, in negative ways. So a very, you know, if you look at kind of a mindfulness practice, that, it, that is meditation. The Kind of the simplest way to think about it is that we are, you know, we talk about taking, taking your seat and it doesn't have to be cross-legged on a pillow with incense. It can just be sit down on your office chair, or your, wherever you're comfortable, right? And, starting to notice your breath. Uh, Some people do that by counting. um, I think the simplest thing to do is just really be aware of your breath, the intake of your breath, moving through your body, right, and then the breath is going out again. And the reason that we focus on our breath in a mindfulness practice is because it's something that's happening right now. It's always something that's happening in this moment in the present. So it's a really easy thing to focus on. And what we're doing is challenging ourselves to keep our focus on our breath and not get distracted by our thoughts. Uh, And, of course, this never happens. You're never not going to be distracted by your thoughts. Um, That's what your brain is designed to do. do. It's it's going to think. So mindfulness isn't about emptying your brain. Mindfulness is about focusing on your breath and trying to keep your focus on your breath, letting the thoughts come in that are going to come in, and then letting them go. So you're sitting there, take a breath in, take a breath out, take a breath in. Oh, I have to go do this meeting. I'm not really sure what I'm going to say or feeling. Oops, I'm thinking. Okay. Let that go. Breath in, breath out. I'm starting to get hungry. I wonder what I'm going to have for Oops, I'm thinking. Let that go. Breath in, breath out. I wish Jim wasn't so aggressive in the way that he's, oops, thinking, let it go. Right. So the thoughts are coming, but what we're practicing is not attaching to them. We're practicing being able Ooh. to see them without getting pulled down the rabbit hole of what they are. And like, so that's what I mean by we're, we're actually practicing something, right? And those thoughts are coming in and we have to let it go. And the same thought's going to come in and we're going to let it go again. And, and it'll, it won't even be that simple, right? It could... You know, in in that example, I said, oh, I wish Jim wasn't being so aggressive. You might might go way down that rabbit hole before you even realize you're thinking, I wish he wasn't so aggressive. He's really impacting the way that I'm able to influence so-and-so. And if he would only do this differently, then, oh, I'm thinking, right, and then you let it go. So... The idea is that you, you create the space for yourself where you're practicing not attaching to these thoughts, noticing, noticing that you're thinking them. And then out of that, when you, when you transfer that into the real world, it becomes that you can notice you're having a defensive reaction to an email, right? Or you can notice that somebody's driving you nuts without attaching to it, without spinning down that narrative that you're going to create, um, and, and, and create that moment of choice that we're talking about. It's that moment of choice where you get to decide, you know what, I'm not going to respond to this email at all, or I'm going to wait and do this in an hour, um, where you're just starting to notice what these thoughts are and how quickly they take you over. And another mm. thing you'll start to discover in a mindful practice is that the more emotion you have attached to a thought, the harder it's going to be to let it go those thoughts are going to keep coming and coming and coming, right, because there's a really strong emotion attached to it. And, the, and, of course, the ones with strong emotions are the ones that take us the furthest down the rabbit hole, right? So, again, we're practicing, uh, and it's really hard. I mean, this is, it's, it's like practicing an instrument for the first time. Um, and, you're, and, you know, you're going to get better at playing the flute a lot faster than you're going to get at good at this. Um, but that being said, and, I, you know, I'll talk about some research later, You'll, I think you'll know. You know, you you can tell your like, your clients will notice a change quickly if they do it. If they have a discipline, if they're committed to it, if they if they buy in and do it, you really will start to be able to watch your thoughts differently. Um, This is a very long answer to your question, Sherry. Um, But that's 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 great. That's
3: very helpful. Thank you.
2: You're welcome.
1: Great. Yes. Great question, Sherry. Thanks a lot for calling in. And, and we are about to go on to a commercial break. I want to ask you just a quick question before we do, Karina. I was thinking as you were talking about breathing, breathe in and just focus on the breath itself, coming entering your body and, and exiting. Do you, Do you also recommend holding your breath for a certain amount of time?
2: That is something that, that people do um, in order to, I think it helps them with the discipline of watching their breath. If they're doing something more active like that, um, it can help them stay focused because they're holding and then releasing. Um, so if that helps you stay with your breath, then you can do that. Um, the practice that I do uh, is really about just breathing naturally, that you're just watching your natural breath and not having to manipulate it um, in order to, to follow it, right? You're really just following what's actually happening with your breath. Um, mm-hmm. But there are many. It's a great question because there are many little ways that you can modify that that help you, especially initially, that help you stay with your breath. You know, whether it's the counting, um, or the holding it, or really, or noticing the little gap between your breaths. Right? There's a natural sort of two second gap between when we breathe. Sometimes that gives you a nice anchor to hold on to while you're trying to stay with your breath
1: all right let's let's continue this conversation and get into some more that that's why i had you on the show when i read your article you had some really practical ways to implement mindfulness and we can do it in the moment so when we come back let's talk more about that so let's now go to a break and please join me more callers call in this is great to have this conversation and we'll be back here on the other side in two minutes
0: Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7.
3: Have you left the cage that held you back but find yourself in the wild of your life wondering, what do I do now? I'm Dr. Lisa Cooney, and today I'm going to give you the tools to answer that question. Regardless of the issue, your choices of the past no longer need to haunt you. You have the power to change that and to create from a space of fun and ease. How different can your life be? Find out. Listen every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, noon Central, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.
4: Who are you, really? Are you the person you want to be or are you the person that others want you to be? Think about that. We don't always recognize our gifts and potential because we stick to old methods of being and do what others in our lives tell us. It's time to break through. Listen for Rediscovering the Magic of Being with Marja. Each program connects you back to whom you were meant to be every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time and 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.
1: Tune in. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com you are
0: tuned in to transformational energy leadership to reach Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey or his guest today. You are welcome to call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send an email, send it to M at transformational energy Now back to this week's show.
1: And we are back today. We are talking about mindfulness, and I'm joined by Karina Chase. She's an executive coach and leadership facilitator with this special interest in mindfulness. If you have a question or a comment, feel free to call in. This is a live show today. Now, in the last segment, Karina, we were talking about mindfulness, how to make it happen, how to make it real. We had a caller, Sherry, talk call in and talk about how do you help change that negative narrative, which really was a good springboard into talking about techniques, and you led us off with breathing. Even over the break, you and I were talking about breathing and how essential it is. Let's keep this part going. What are some more strategies that leaders can do in their frenzied, crazy pace to get themselves into a mindful space, that gap that you were talking about?
2: Right. So I guess, I mean, if, if we kind of take it on a, on a range, right, the, 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 one of the simpler things you can do is that thing that Ellen Langer talks about, right? You can start challenging yourself to notice actively notice new things um, you know, with the different people that you're with in your meetings, in your, um, on your calls, right? That, to challenge yourself to be alert to the moment in a different way um, by noticing new things. There's also um, a lot of different ways that you can create a space in, in your day for you where you can check in with yourself, right? Check in with your mind, check in with your body, and, and get centered. I think the, the simplest one... The simplest thing that that you can do, which you will, my clients definitely reported back that they feel feel results from this, is to, when you're starting to feel that anxiety um, or that feeling of being overwhelmed or being in response mode, take a moment, just sit with your feet on the ground, and take three long, deep, slow breaths. Feel your feet on the ground. Feel your breath go move through your body. It needs to really go into your stomach. And what's happening there actually is that you're physiologically sending a signal to your body that you're safe, right? Because what, what happens to us in our work days is that we get all of these, we in threat responses, so all of these little things that, that are happening, these these deadlines or somebody piling more work on us or something suddenly happening and some, some kind of fire drill that we have to respond to, that's all getting received into your body as a, as a threat response, and it's making our, our breath shallower and shallower. Um, when you, if, you're actually, if your life is actually threatened, which is what your body thinks is happening, you can't take a deep breath. Um, so when you sit and make yourself breathe deeply, you are reminding your brain that you're safe, that this is in fact not a life-or-death situation and that you're okay. And you will feel your system settle down with those long, slow breaths. And then you'll just be responding from a slightly more um, controlled space.
1: It gives you access.
2: Sorry, go ahead, Matt.
1: Well, I was going to say, we are, there's a phrase that our colleague, says to us and it's so real we are emotional beings who just happen to think and so many right. times people think well we're logical we think we're we're thinkers and then we feel and that's not the truth at all and what you're just saying is we're constantly bombarded with with a stimulus and our natural we the emotions hit and i'm going to protect yeah. myself and that's when our body starts doing things, and we think irrationally. And what you're just saying now is it frees up that that what, what was it that Jewel called it, to creating this gap to give you time yeah. to access your logic. Am I getting yeah, that right? Yeah, and,
2: and you you have to be calm. You know, if you're if you're going to see that gap or create that gap where you get to make a choice, um, it, that that can only happen from a place of calm. So finding a way to get your Brain and body in, into that space where, where you're calm and centered enough um, to see those choices before you and, and make them the way that you want to, um, which is kind of what Sherry was asking, right? How, do, how, how can we help people create that gap, especially when there's a lot of negative energy? So first and foremost, you've got to make sure your body uh, is aware that you're not actually threatened because we, we are in kind of threat response mode through a lot of our days. And that inhibits hmm. our ability to think clearly and, and act and behave the way that we want to.
1: So we've got this, this creating space, breathing. We've got our feet on the floor. What other tips or, or recommendations do you have?
2: So, some other simple things you can do you know are go for a walk um, and and leave your phone behind <laughs> right We got to get away from our phones. that's one thing the, the The phones are a sort of threat response right we're We're checking those those things um an average of eighty five times a day. So that's eighty five times a day that you are being pulled from one thing to another um, that you are. Uh, automatically sending yourself into a multitasking mode just by just by checking your phone, so if you can create some boundaries around that and separate yourself from your phone you 're already doing yourself a favor because you 're um, helping yourself single task on something by not having that extra um, that extra sort of thing over there to to respond to but you know uh, y- To pull yourself away and walk around the floor, walk down to Starbucks, walk around the block, whatever it is, depending on your office space, but leave your phone behind and challenge yourself to just focus on the movement. You know, focus on your feet walking beneath you and what your legs feel like because the idea is you're getting out of your brain. You're trying to give your brain um, a chance to just be uh, because it's been going, going, going. So, So check in with your body. You know, go for a walk. Check into your physical... Self, um, to give your, your brain a rest. And then it's like, you know, it's like what happens, even this is sort of an abbreviated version of going for a workout. Um, you know, and, and you know how much, how much gets freed up in us, you know, for thinking, 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 and we're kind of overwhelmed, and then we go work out and we suddenly feel better. Well, this is a, kind of an abbreviated version of, of doing that and, and, and checking in physically and just getting our, our, our blood moving. Um, so these are kind of smaller things that we can do. Um, but, the, you know, as we talked about a little bit before, the, the real benefits, you know, and, and what the research is showing us, the real benefits do start to show up um, with a little bit of a meditation practice, right? With really the discipline uh, of pulling ourselves out of whatever we're doing. Or, you know, just, you don't have to do it at work. You can do it in the morning. You can do it in the evening. But spending that practice time. Of learning to disconnect, um, to not attach to your thoughts, to let them be there, to observe them and not attach them. Um, The the research shows that you'll start to see uh, effects in the brain um, at eight minutes a day. So if you are meditating for eight minutes a day, you should start to feel some sort of tangible results. Um, in your ability to create that gap and your ability to not attach so quickly to your thoughts. And the recommendation for most beginners is 8 to 20 minutes a day. 20 minutes is a lot. You know, it is a lot. <laughs> um, so probably 8 to 10 is a good place to start. Um, eight. And it really is as simple as noticing your breathing um, in and out, in and out. There's the thought. I'm observing it. I'm letting it go knowing that it's going to be really challenging. Um, There's some apps that can, re- that can support you and guide you through in- initially trying to meditate. There's a wonderful app called Headspace um, with a lot of guided meditations. It'll, they'll guide you any, from anywhere from two to two minutes to, to hours per day. Um, another wonderful app that I use is called Calm. Um, and again, you can do guided meditation. You can just set a timer uh, so that you can... Decide how many minutes you feel like you have for it that day, and and it will track how much you're meditating. So if you're somebody that likes to track your progress with anything, it's really good. It will congratulate you every day for doing it. It'll tell you how many days you've done it in a row. It'll give you your accumulated minutes of meditating, um, which is kind of nice as well. Um, So, so there's lot. There are a lot of ways that there's things that can support you. You know, as you begin to start. This practice. Um, right.
1: And in the society yeah. we're in, we're, we are all about tracking and, and there's some yeah. competition and things. Let's, you know what, we've got a number of callers coming in. Are you ready to take another call? Sure, sure. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go ahead and take Steve in Southern California. Steve, are you there? I am. Good morning. Can you hear me?
2: Good morning. Good
1: morning. Loud and clear. What's your Great. question? Well, yeah, first of all, th- thanks. This is great
4: stuff. I'm trying to capture all the hints and tips and, and, and resources. Um, I've, I've got a question around leadership across different demographics and, and how mindfulness would play into that. So I, I guess what have you noticed in terms of working with different demographics and uh, any any tips or techniques you've got if, if there are differences in, in mindfulness working with different or different demographics. Hopefully, I'm hopefully I'm clear on my question.
2: So, do you mean in terms of their receptivity, or in terms of the kinds of tips that you would give different people? Yeah,
4: yeah. I think that's really it. it you know, as you think about, you know, as you work with baby boomers and Gen X mm, okay. and and millennials, and what, what what have you noticed in terms of differences? Uh, in, yeah. in terms of desire for that attention, and then anything that you might suggest to help with that.
2: Great. Yeah, it's a great question. It, it, I, I love the question because I, I think that the kind of broad message that's out there right now is that mindfulness is everywhere and everyone's doing it and it's now mainstream. And and it is mainstream, especially as compared to where it was even five, ten years ago, um, let alone, you know, all these all these mindfulness thought leaders who've been doing it through the 70s. Are, I think they're all kind of thinking, finally. Um, so... So, yes, it's mainstream in, in the way that Matt talked about at the beginning. You can Google it, and there's a cajillion different resources and books and ideas about mindfulness. Harvard Business Review is writing about it. Like, it's out there. Google's doing it. Facebook's doing it. Um, and I think this is what you mean with demographics. Like, a lot of companies, Silicon Valley's all over it, right? These kind of younger um, companies that are really into sort of strategy and, and creating spaces where people can be innovative, um, are doing it a lot more, you know. What I'm noticing, which is a little bit more of, uh, you know, I'm in, I'm in law firms and I'm in accounting firms and banks, and that there is an interest. Like I said, right? Like people are really leaning forward in in their seats when we start talking about this and and, and really asking for help. But it's not it's not quite, the organ, these organizations are not quite sure yet exactly how to introduce it because there is such a spectrum um, of receptivity to it. You know, in a room of 24, I'll usually find I've got four people that are meditating regularly, a bunch of people that are kind of interested, and then one or two that are saying, no way, man, never, not for me, <laughs> right? So there's there's a broad spectrum, so um, I think... Um, organizations, these organizations are really playing around with how to offer it in a way that is voluntary, um, to talk about the benefits, especially around stress reduction, right, and time management, cognitive control, which I'll talk about, like, some really tangible, important benefits from this. And um, I think that a lot of organizations are just now learning and, and figuring out how to talk about it to make more people receptive and then trying to figure out how to offer it in a way that it, it's still somewhat voluntary. So I know a lot of people are um, having people come to their company retreats or they're putting it in a kind of wellness context, right? You go to our wellness center, there's meditation and mindfulness options. Um, so there's, there's still some, some variety. Um, and so it, anyway... <clears throat> you know, I'm really interested in supporting organizations as they, as they figure out the best way to offer it, given the, the, the spectrum of, of interest and receptivity right now.
1: Great. Thank you so much.
2: Does, does appreciate the, the call, question?
1: Steve. Yes, Karina, if you're, what we're going to do, let's go ahead. We're going to skip the break because we've got some more callers. And if you're okay with that, let's just keep on going. Okay. All right. We've got Laura in Denver. Can you hear us?
3: Yes, hi, Matt and Karina. Hi. This is about leadership. My question is really around, in this really noisy, cluttered world, how do we bring mindfulness to our leaders? So, for mm-hmm. example, my clients say, they're just not listening anymore. Or, mm-hmm. you know, short of shouting or even cursing out loud, I can't effectively get their attention, help,
2: yeah, so so you're asking how can we help uh, facilitate leaders becoming more aware of that? Yeah, I guess bottom line, the,
3: the question becomes, you know, is it us or is it them? Or are we all caught up in the noise and clutter?
2: Right. Well, we're certainly all caught up in the noise and clutter. And I think what you're speaking to is, that, you know, something I see a lot too, which is you can create awareness and, and best practices for any level in an organization, but if it's not happening at the top, um, it's pretty hard, right? It's pretty hard to implement, and it's pretty hard for people to, to buy into it working um, if they're not also seeing it at the top. And, you know, really what, what your question points to is that this, is more, this practice um, is more important for leaders than anybody you know, everyone's looking to leadership to see how to behave. Um, and the world's not getting any less chaotic, right? We know that the world is going to get more ambiguous and more complex, right? And it's going to be, continue to be filled with threat responses. So that's not going to change. The only, the only thing that's going to change is our, is our response to that. And um, George Mumford, uh, who I mentioned before, this mindfulness coach for the, the Bulls and the Lakers, and he, he talks about um, getting people to the place where they can make decisions from the eye of the hurricane. Right, this acknowledgement that the storm's not going to stop, it's going to keep swirling, but how do you get yourself to the calm center of that, and, and so that so that you can make decisions from that place and that people see you making decisions from that place? Um, you know, in, in terms of bottom-up sort of feedback, I think continuing to make leadership aware that, that they are modeling behavior. They're modeling the mm-hmm. behavior of the organization that people need to see that. Right? They need to see their leaders. Um, as the the calm in the center of the storm um, and with a kind of presence where people feel um, that they're being paid attention to um, and that they understand what their priorities need to be. So um, it's incredibly important for leadership to...
3: Yeah, such a great answer around leadership because we have more modes of communication than we've ever had at our fingertips. And what I'm really gaining from this discussion is... But it all does go back to, um, you know, checking in with ourselves first, and and mm. and really, as leaders and with leaders, modeling the behavior. Wonderful. Thank you.
2: Yeah, it's exactly right. It's a great summary. You know, it really is about that we can't be with other people in the way in which we want to be with them if we're not first checking in with ourselves. Where yeah. where are we coming from? We. Where are our resources, you know, so that we ha- we need to have the resources ourselves in order to be present with other people in the way that we want to be. And that that's what this is about is understanding your own thoughts, right, and your own what are you doing, what are your options um, before you for how you behave. Uh, and that that's where you've got to start because you're creating a perception with everything you do. And everything you do stems from what you're thinking about and where your attention is people are watching.
1: Thank you Karina. Yeah. And, and you know this is a great way you can look at it from another perspective in terms of just read the research that's out there and you'll look at studies that say okay what are the top traits that you admire or the top characteristics whatever phrase or taxonomy you want to use about a leader that you respect, you regard, you admire and having what you just said being that calm in the eye of a storm that's always mm-hmm. towards the top. Followers exactly. want that yeah and That's- i I want to segue this a bit into because my show is we I talk a lot about energy, and how does mindfulness connect to a leader's energy? Well, again, it's
2: that. It's that thing that we, keep, you know, our energy is is in our behavior. The the energy that we have to do things comes from um, our passion around it, our excitement around it, our 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 authentic connection to it, right? So you have to be constantly checking in to where all that is, right, in order to be able to connect to it. Um, where are my thoughts? Where is my focus? What am I paying attention to, right? Those are the things that you're learning through this practice, right? Are those the things I want to be focused on? Is that where I want my attention to be? Um, will I get more energy and excitement um, if, I, if I am more focused on or connected to these things, right? So it's, that, it's creating that space where you're really deliberate about what you're focusing on, what you're thinking about, where your priorities are, and, and how you're connecting to them, right? And what are those distracting things that are taking you down other rabbit holes? What are the things that are absorbing and taking the energy that you want to be giving to other things? And this
1: yes, is,
2: this, yeah. this is creating that space where you, you can figure that out.
1: You create this space. How, does this, how can you see this relating or connected to transforming an organization,
2: well, let's talk a little bit about some of the the research um, in okay. terms of we, what you know what we see in meditators, because I think that that it's, it almost answers itself, right? When you start to look at some of the, the 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 research of what is happening with people as they meditate for longer and longer periods of time.
3: Sure, so, sure, go.
2: Um, Daniel Goldman and Richard Davidson did an incredible job of um, collecting uh, research in a book called Altered Traits, um, and what they have found in, is that meditators have a better ability to return to focus, right? To recover from uh, distraction, right, and also to recover from um, stress responses. So they experience less anxiety, um, and because they're able, they're able to more quickly pull themselves out of the of the distractions that are causing anxiety and return to their to their focus, right? Um, and this is about, this is about um, emotional regulation, really. Um, in more seasoned meditators, they actually um, are seeing that in their brains there's a stronger connection between their prefrontal cortex, which is where we manage our emotions, and their amygdala, right, which is where we perceive our emotions. And you share this term called the, the amygdala hijack, right, which is basically when somebody has something happen, um, that kind of hijacks their their thinking, right? Or their their manage their ability to manage what they're receiving, and they just react or respond, right? So mm-hmm. seasoned meditators have a stronger connection between the part of their brain that manages emotions and the part of their brain that receives emotions. So this is really about um, cognitive control. Right? Cognitive control is our is that ability to manage our emotions, and to manage it, um, what we're receiving. Cognitive control, they've done re- research, and cognitive control is more highly correlated to success than IQ or uh, family income, which means your ability to manage your response, to manage your emotions, will, will have more to do with your ability to be successful than if you are brilliant or if you were born With a bunch of opportunity uh, kind of already laid out for you, that's that's huge. (laughs) That's that's really that's a big deal.
1: (laughs) Yes, that's really really. This
2: is something that we have control over. Um, very,
1: it's very powerful, Karina. And, you know, I just to bring this together because we've got just about a minute left here, I'm taking from what you're seeing here with the research, the altered traits, being able to recover and return from stress, to have that stronger cognitive control that you're talking about. Just imagine if the entire leadership team of an organization dedicated their time to having that cognitive control. Just imagine the transformative power Yeah. There.
2: And we're not talking about a ton of time, right? <laughs> like no, this practice, no. while it's really, really hard to pull yourself out of what you're doing and just sit with yourself, very, very difficult. The, the repercussions are vast, right? And can have an ma- incredible impact on an organization if that's what your leadership team is, is, is able to get better at, and that's, that's the behavior that you're modeling. You have a whole company that's looking at leaders who are operating from that eye of the storm.
1: Yes. Thank you so much for all I feel like we could go another hour or two hours talking me too. about. This. <laughs> you did a
2: good job reining me in. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: this has been terrific, Frenus. Thank you so much. You know, before we go, what's the best way if they if our listeners want to contact you? How can they do that?
2: My email is my name, C-O-R-E-N-A dot Chase at com. Uh, and this is a conversation I'm happy to continue with anybody, and um, I have many more resources that I can share for anyone that wants to sort of dig deeper and, and keep learning about this.
1: Terrific. So next week, just a quick preview. We're going to focus on the question for you is, what if it were true that your greatest risk and your richest potential rested upon one thing? That's integrity. We are going to talk with an author, national speaker, and thought leader on integrity. His book is called Return on Integrity, Unleashing the Potential of Your Real ROI. So tune in next week. Be part of that. And until next week, harness your positive energy. Lead that transformation. See you then. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for listening to Transformational Energy Leadership. Please join Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey again for another edition next Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a great week.